what I'm listening to now on Sunday morning. New Zealanders choose songs that inspire them. Our guest today couldn't listen to any songs for a long time, and even now she listens to them differently. It is International Cochlear Implant Day today. The government funds cochlear implants, but the usual story, not enough to keep up with the demand. Dr. Amanda Kalsvig is an epidemiologist at the University of Otago in Wellington. She has two cochlear implants. Amanda, kia ora. Kia ora. What are cochlear implants? What do they actually do? I think it's quite hard for the rest of us to comprehend what they do. Oh, that's a really good question because I don't think even people who have cochlear implants always understand exactly how they work. Um, What you have is very, very clever technology. You've got an electrode that sits in your inner ear and it's connected right all the way up to your skin to a processor that sits outside, sits on your ear. And the processor collects sound and transmits it into the internal electrode. And that stimulates the the nerve that sends sound to your brain. And it tells your brain that it's hearing something. So it's a completely electronic signal, um, which is different from the way we hear naturally. So I don't hear with my ears at all. I just hear through the electrodes. So when you got the implants in the first place, you had to learn to hear differently. Absolutely right. So it doesn't give you your hearing back. It doesn't give you natural hearing. It's a new way of hearing. And the soundscape that it gives you is different from the sound that you might remember before, if you were hearing before, which I was. So when you when it's first switched on, it's quite an amazing experience. You hear a lot of sound, but you don't know at all what you're listening to. It sounds very different. And that's the, the learning process that you have to do. And it actually takes years. I'm, I'm years on from the implantation. Um, my hearing is still getting better because I'm, my brain is still learning to interpret what it's getting. And uh, and perhaps that's the big lesson is you don't hear with your ears. You hear with your brain. It's your brain that's doing the work in there. It's amazing tech. You were 19 when you first noticed you were losing your hearing and it got worse and worse and worse. That's right. So through my 20s, um, I lost more and more of my hearing until I could hear pretty much nothing. And, of course, you were already a doctor. You had to retrain that's right, yes. Uh, I was doing clinical pediatrics, uh, which I, I, I loved greatly, and uh, had to stop that and, and find a new career. And, uh, and, and that was very hard to do. It was very, very hard to step away from something that I loved so much and actually was a big part of my identity, as I realized when I had to stop. And I'm very, very fortunate because I found a second career that I also love and and really enjoy, and that's being an infectious disease epidemiologist and working in public health. Yes. But going back, I've heard you say that losing your hearing is just the start of the problem, really. Because as I didn't realise at the time, um, hearing does all sorts of things. Um, It connects us to the people around us. If you can't hear, even the people closest to you, you can't have a simple conversation with them. It is extraordinarily isolating. Yes. And you were very social, I know. But then in rooms of people, obviously, you found yourself completely alone. And that that is why you talk about a loss of sense of identity, because your feeling of who you were inevitably changed. 
that's right. It's as if you've you've been a certain person all your life and suddenly you, you can't be that person and you don't know who you are anymore. It is very disconcerting. It, it actually gets at the very basis of well-being. In 2007, you received your first implant. I know you had a toddler and a baby um, who you couldn't hear. But do you remember how you felt when the implants started to work or the first implant started to work? It was absolutely extraordinary. Um, I, I don't almost have words to describe it, but um, they, they switched it on and I, I heard that they use a kind of little pure tone test signal and I heard it. So that was really the, the first thing that I heard. And and I heard it as a major chord arpeggio, um, which is the first thing I'd really heard in, in years. But then we we went outside and they were all kicking leaves for me and I could hear the rustling the leaves and that was fascinating so every little sound was fascinating then we got in the car and um, we were driving through it was in Christchurch and we were driving through the streets and I suddenly heard a ticking sound it was the indicator I had forgotten that indicators made a noise and <laughs> um, I, I just forgotten that because I hadn't heard it for so many years and so every tiny thing was fascinating and then hearing my children's voices um, hearing my husband's voice my mum's voice that that was an incredibly moving experience. And 10 years ago, after your second implant went in, I was reading you recognised a Beatles song on the way home. Which one was that out of interest? Oh, gosh, no, I can't even remember. It was, it, I think it was Rubber Soul that was, that was playing. So it was one of those right. tracks, um, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, we were in the car and I'd taken my um, old processor off and I just uh, my other side processor off and I just had the new one on because I wanted to train myself to to listen with it. the new one sitting in the car and now and just going back a bit people said to me with that second one they said look this ear hasn't heard anything for over 20 years we don't know if it's going to work at all and um, we're just going to take we think there's a chance we're going to give you that chance but please keep your expectations really low and I did so there we were sitting in the car on the way home and I was I could hear this funny little sound and I said is that the Beatles and it was and um, they sounded like chipmunks because um, everybody sounds like chipmunks with a, a cochlear implant and it's very high-pitched and um, and but, but it was definitely them that was a very exciting moment I can imagine a joyful moment. They never discovered why you lost your hearing, did they? No, um, it, it it can just happen. It's it's very unusual, but it can just happen. It might be have been a viral infection. I had so many tests, and every time I moved, because you move as a doctor a lot, and um, they want to do all the tests all over again. And eventually, I said no, and I put a stop to it because actually it didn't matter to me anymore what had caused it. The challenge I had was living with it. Yeah, of course. And the, the testament was going to help with that. Dr. Amanda Kvalsvug is with us. Not all deaf people want hearing aids or cochlear implants. We should mention that, I suppose. Yes, it's really important to recognise that not everybody wants sound and not everybody needs sound. Um, and, and a really good example of that is deaf people who have grown up in, in the deaf community um, whose, whose first language is, is sign language. Uh, they have complete communication. They have a community. They have all those things around them. And they may well say, and often they do say, I don't need any more than that. Um, this is why it's such an individual experience. 
Um, my experience was quite different. It was a terrible loss. And and so cochlear implants have been a tremendously life-saving and um, life-enhancing thing for me. But that is absolutely not true of everybody. Yeah. No, I've read a bit about that. The Southern Cochlear Implant Program, which you're associated with, helps 1,200 people, I was reading. But, of course, it can't get them all cochlear implants. They're expensive, aren't they? They are, and there's always a waiting list. And uh, I, I know I remember that feeling of being on the waiting list um, in the UK and, and then here. And um, it distresses me greatly to think of people just kind of um, waiting and waiting some t- for months or years uh, to get that that reconnection. Uh, it it is really hard to think of. I think it's really important to recognise the importance of funding these operations because of the absolutely enormous impact they have on people's lives. Yes, these people who are living their lives in silence they don't want. You are reminded of that silence every morning, I assume, because you don't sleep with them in, I imagine. You will still know what deep silence is, won't you? That's right. So that's the important thing to realise. If you meet a cochlear implant user, they are still deaf. I'm still deaf. I always will be deaf. But now I have some access to sound when I switch the processor on. Um, It's completely silent for me at night. Actually, I would say it's not silent. I have tinnitus, you know, ringing in my ears. Ah. And um, um, that's been there for uh, decades now. And uh, I learned to to switch it off. Um, But but aside from that, I don't hear anything for quite a large part of each day um, because I haven't got my processor on. I'm still a deaf person. The oldest person ever to receive a cochlear implant was 103, I was reading. So you're never too old to get one. That's interesting. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you know how it went for them? Did they did they like it? Yes. Yes. And there was a one hundred and two year old as well. And I'm I'm pretty sure the one hundred and three year old's still alive. And um Oh, yeah. that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> now Loud Shirt Day, which has been the fundraising day uh, for cochlear implants, I think it still is. It's it's not till later in the year. But I was thinking, you know, I've got a variety of loud shirts. And I would, I'd think about. I'll probably think about the cause when I wear them now. Imagine if everyone who bought a loud shirt gave a dollar. I mean, maybe the stores could have donation jars. It's not a bad idea. Maybe someone's thought of it. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I, I, maybe they have. Um, I, I, I too have a stash of loud shirts, which I make sure I'm always wearing on loud shirt day. And um, but I think the idea of getting just a small donation from lots of people is is so effective, isn't it? You've chosen a song for us. Now, you were a singer and a violinist. Out of interest, do you still play? Um, I played the violin, not still, but again, I've, I picked it up again. Um, it's it's very different. I can't really hear pitch, so um, that's a challenge for violin playing. Um, but um, it's it's quite emotionally challenging thing to do, but it is also so lovely because... It's that connection with who I used to be. And um, I still have some motor memory um, that uh, you know, I can play the notes. Um, and, and so I, I won't ever perform, but, but I get so much pleasure out of um, playing um, a Bach partita or something that I used to play and, uh, and just feeling that happening. You would hear the notes in your head from memory of the old days differently from how they come out now. I'm just trying to work that out in my own head. 
Yes, exactly. So it doesn't sound the same. And also the um, the tone of the violence sounds different and very screechy, I have to say. Now, unkind people would say that a violent always sounds very screechy <laughs> and, and horrible, but I would never agree. Um, I love the sound of the violin. So when I'm playing or, or listening to violin music, really I'm, I'm remembering, I'm remembering what a violin sounds like rather than hearing it in that instance. A violin sounds marvellous. I, I too was a, a poor violin player, so I'm a fan of the violin. I'd never say it screeched. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but if the implants aren't great at replicating real-world sound uh, and pitch and timbre and so on, can you go to an orchestral concert, for example, Amanda, and enjoy it? Um, I stopped going to concerts. I found it very distressing. Um, and so sometimes I do want to and sometimes I don't. I have and have always had a good memory for music. And that was that was helped by musical training, I think. So, in fact, when I went deaf, I effectively had a whole library of music that I could just listen to in my head because I could remember it clearly enough to do that. And so when I listen to music now... Um, I find that if I listen to music that I used to listen to or play a long time ago, I'm hearing it really, really well. I suspect because I'm I'm remembering it along with listening to it. Uh, but if I listen to something that I didn't know before, it's quite hard to make sense of it sometimes. And and that goes for I'm, I'm now a woman in, in a time warp really because there's a whole lot of music that's been um, created since I went deaf that is quite hard for me to access. I, I must be the the only person in the world who's never heard a Taylor Swift song. I've never <laughs> done that. I might I might try, but but I'm probably the only one. At least you're stuck in a quality time warp. <laughs> Oh, I remember all the bad stuff too, oh, you unfortunately. <laughs> well, you've chosen a song for us today, which is the biggest selling jazz single of all time. Can you tell us why this is your musical choice? I, this, this song I've chosen for Cochlear Implant Day is, is Take Five uh, by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. There's more than one reason to for me to choose that one. Uh, the first is I've known this music my entire life. My parents used to listen to jazz when I was a child. Um, and this is the music I used to hear drifting over when I was lying in bed at night. And I love hearing it now because it reminds me of my childhood and it reminds me of my dad who's not with us anymore. So it, it does have that very strong emotional connection. But there's a second reason, which is that, um, and you may not have known this, it is an excellent piece to listen to through cochlear implants. And I discovered this really quite by chance. But when I think about it, it's, it's got a logic to it. Mm, would you like me to explain that? Well, we know it's five beats to the bar. Can you explain the rest? Okay. The thing about listening to music with a cochlear implant is that the implant will do some things very well and some things less well. So one of the things it does really, really well is is rhythm. It gives you rhythm really, really clearly. Anything percussive you can hear really clearly. Something it doesn't do as well is melody, and that's because the, the pitch information isn't as precise as it could be. The third thing is that the timbre of the music, the, the instrument that you might be listening to, and that's very variable. So some instruments, it transmits really well, and some it doesn't. 
So coming back to to take five, you can see it's it's got the rhythm. The rhythm is right up at front in front there. You've got the brilliant five four beats, and you've also got um, the whole thing is a, is a rhythm piece really. In terms of the melody, it doesn't depend on the melody. So there is a melody from the saxophone, but you don't need it. And if you know what it is, um, you can understand the piece. And then the timbre is also really good to manage because it's, it's it's only got four instruments. It's a very clean sound. So that works really well for a cochlear implant process as, as well. So it's great hearing therapy as well as being a fantastic piece of music. Right. So you fill in the gaps in a very interesting way when you hear this. Could you, can, I'll ask you a question. Uh, you were good on the violin. Could you have played this in the old days? Because when they tried to record it, the Dave Brubeck Quartet, they couldn't for a long time. It took them ages to get it right. So it's a kind of symbolic music choice of yours. They 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 got there in the end. Yes, yes, yes. I know they they wanted to do this in the um, because of uh, they wanted to showcase that their ability to to play and and to improvise in in five four, um, and and it just didn't work for a while. And then suddenly it did. You get that feeling when you listen to it of the excitement of of that piece that they're creating. So today's the day, cochlear implant day, and I suppose um, money is the issue. It always is, isn't it? with access to medical services. So you could use more money, basically. <laughs> it's true of every single health issue. And, uh, and, and that's what funders have to, to, to manage. I, I think with cochlear implants, sometimes it gets underestimated. The, the, the well-being impacts of, of losing hearing get underestimated. And so that's a point that I'd like to make really strongly. And um, this is Hearing is something that's very central to people's lives uh, because it's communication, because it's things like music. And uh, I would like to see much more funding coming through to support people who are currently living in silence. You're a great ambassador for the day. Thank you, Amanda, very much for telling us your story and joining us. Thank you. It's lovely to talk.